0: Welcome to this mini-episode of Seemingly Ordinary. Seemingly Ordinary is a podcast about normal people who have something really amazing and fantastic going on. Two days ago, I posted my interview with Lindsay Wisher. Lindsay is an editor, a writer, a poet, published numerous times in Verily and Ploughshares Magazine and in other magazines. Interviewing her, I asked her about her creative process and she has many methods, and I ask you to listen to the whole interview. Today, I would like to discuss a book that I read called Rest by Alex Sujung Kimpeng. This book is about how to stimulate your creativity if you've ever wanted to be more creative so that you could have more fun and enrich your life and enrich the lives of people around you. I think you will find this brief description of rest fascinating. Of course, I guess this miniature episode also serves as an advertisement for the book Rest. The author did not pay me to do this advertisement, but if you would like to send me a check, that would be great. Well, in his book, he interviews or discusses uh, the biographies of literally hundreds of creators around the world. They tend to be world-class. He references Ernest Hemingway numerous times, Um, Then also Anthony Trollope, the 19th century Russian, excuse me, English novelist, who wrote something like 47 novels over the course of his life. He's considered to be a classic author in Great Britain. Well, in the book, the author points out that uh, having a good morning routine is absolutely essential, that a lot of Writers and entrepreneurs and artists of all kinds, and Jocko Willink for that matter, will get up at about maybe 4 or 4.30 in the morning. You get up at pre-dawn because nobody else is up. And your brain is going to be very sharp once you get used to it. Now, this morning routine oftentimes will consist of one to four hours worth of creative time. And that is enough time to accomplish incredible things. If you do that consistently day in and day out, say for example for a year or possibly two years, you will be shocked at how much you could actually produce. In my own case, I started writing novels in June of 2017. And since then, I've done a rough draft of a novel. Uh, I've written six complete novels. I'm doing maybe about a seventh draft of a seventh novel. And I'm taking notes right now for an eighth novel. And, you know, I'm taking my time doing these things, too. That's the amazing thing. So that is well over seven books in a less than a five-year period, all on the basis of just consistent efforts over time. I've loved it. I've really, really enjoyed it. Well, this is very similar to somebody like Hemingway. Hemingway would get up at maybe 5.30 and he would work for maybe a maximum of five hours in the morning. I mean, he would drink his coffee and get to work. He had a very, very terrific work ethic. Hemingway is a really interesting writer in the sense of he did everything right when it comes to work ethic up until roughly about the age of 40. And then after the age of 40, He does everything wrong. And so you can look at the early periods of his life, and he is incredibly productive. He writes maybe 90% of his books and 90% of his journalism before the age of 40. After that, he is lucky if he can finish a book at all. He took 10 years to write what many critics think was his worst book, Across the River and Through the Trees. And he also managed to write The Old Man and the Sea during this period, which a lot of people love, but other people criticize as sentimental. And then finally, he had maybe five books that he was writing during this period, none of which he finished. All of them were posthumous novels. I will get into Hemingway's successes and failures a little bit later, but he's just a -a one-of-a-kind, very fascinating character. I honestly think Hemingway was the third most interesting man who ever lived. Getting back to this idea of a morning routine. So the author of Rest found out that you really can't concentrate deeply for much longer than, say, one to about four hours. You can try, but you're probably actually going to exhaust and fry your brain, and you would be better off just taking a break. Anthony Trollope, who was very famous and had those 47 books, had a job with the post office. So I imagine that he did his writing in the morning and then maybe got on his horse because he was in the 19th century and maybe delivered the mail. And parts of the afternoon then can be devoted to other things. For example, if you need to write letters to people or if you need to do some mental work that's not quite as intense as creative work, well, that can happen later in the day. The author of Rest also recommends taking a walk. It's a nice breather. He uses, I think, Immanuel Kant for an example, the famous philosopher. People said you could set your, your clock by Kant. At 2 o'clock, he'd be at a certain place in town. At 2.15, he'd be at another place. You could basically set your clock. The author also suggests Rest, which makes sense. In other words, taking a nap in the afternoon. I looked it up. The ideal nap length, according to the science that I read, is either 20 minutes or 90 minutes, and it's nothing in between. If you do something in between, you will be groggy for the rest of the day. I've done this. I've taken 20-minute naps. I will set my alarm clock for 21 minutes, 22 minutes. Then I wake up, and sure enough, it's true. I'm very energetic for the rest of the day. And in the past, before I knew this, I would take 40-minute naps occasionally. And sure enough, it's true. You'd be pretty groggy for the rest of the day. Another good technique is when you're doing something creative, it's actually to stop in the middle. Hemingway and other authors and other people in general would be writing a sentence on their book. And yeah, they would know how it's supposed to end, but their time was up. So they would literally leave you hanging mid-sentence like I just did. That way you want to finish the sentence. So you have something to do the next morning when you get back. You don't have to waste 15 minutes trying to get started. You can just jump right in, and that's a great thing about it. Two more techniques that the author suggests for this first part of the book, which was called stimulating, are stop in the middle, like I said, and then there is sleep. So I guess that's just one more technique. So to review, the first part of rest suggests that we have a morning routine, You can really get excellent, creative, high-level thinking out of yourself for at most one to three hours. You should consider taking a walk. You should take a nap. You should stop in the middle. And you should probably sleep. Teens seem to need about eight to eight and a half hours, according to science. Adults seem to need about seven. Now, I brought this up to teenagers before when I have taught them, and it's amazing the reactions you get. You either get people wishing that they could get the proper amount of sleep, or you get people who are angry at you for bringing it up in the first place because they feel like it's hopeless that they will never get the proper amount of sleep. Well, I remember reading articles in the early 90s pointing out that President Clinton was short of sleep. The article was using him as an example because the article was saying that most Americans are basically short of sleep. Well, since the 1990s, I don't really see where much has changed. I look at my coworkers and my students, and I see many of the same problems. And yet, I think we would all live longer and be healthier if we got a proper amount of sleep, and we would be more creative, and we would have more fun. So that's the first part of the book. Then there are two more parts. There is sustaining creativity, and then there is the subject of deep play. Deep play is really fun. I can't wait to tell you about that. But first, sustaining. Sustaining had two parts. One was recovery, and then the second was exercise. Now with recovery, the author is talking about having a vacation or a getaway. Now if you don't have any money, maybe a person can go camping. Maybe a person can go visit friends or relatives and sleep on the couch. A person could do something. You could take your family to something that's very, very cheap just to get away from it all. I find personally that when I get out of town, all kinds of creative ideas just flood straight into my head. It's the most amazing thing and I really love it. There is something about changing your environment which helps you change your thoughts and it provokes new ideas. On the subject of exercise, I think it's been physiologically proven, of course, that if you are in better physical condition, your brain is simply going to operate faster. Your brain is attached to your body. Your brain receives blood from your body. Uh, The blood can pump quickly or it can pump slowly. Um, Our health is just going to increase our ability to think and our ability to be creative. I used to be a long-distance runner, and I remember reading that long-distance runners were, generally speaking, fairly intelligent people. I thought, well, I guess that skipped me, but it certainly applied to a lot of the other long-distance runners that I knew. They were very, very sharp. They liked to read. They liked to discuss things, and... For whatever reason, they were attracted to long-distance running. I guess it's a chicken-and-egg situation. Are long-distance runners smarter, or are smarter people attracted to long-distance running? I don't really know. I guess I'm not smart enough. Like I said, it skipped me. Finally, there's the subject of deep play. Deep play is, I guess the opposite would be shallow play. Shallow play would be as, I don't know, I suppose I just play whatever silly video game is available, something that's not too complicated. Deep play might be something like a board game like Stratego or Risk or Chess. Uh, it might be a complex yard game. It might be uh, some other kind of complex game. It might be quilting. Um, Deep play has four characteristics. It is mentally absorbing. It captures your whole attention. This is good for creativity because creativity is often what they call thinking slow. There was a psychiatrist or psychologist named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Thinking fast is analytical thinking like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Thinking slow is creative thinking, and that's when your mind is not on something, and so what it does is it assembles pieces all on its own, and then it brings those pieces together, and boom, that's what we call a new idea. Well, with deep play, if you are doing something that's mentally absorbing, like playing a game, that gives the back of your mind time to, to compile all those random pieces and give you a new idea. Deep play, trait number two, it's a new context for the same skills. If you are doing something in your regular work, which requires a lot of complex thinking and a lot of strategizing, then oftentimes a game also will have those traits, but it's in a completely different context. So then trait number three for deep play is you have cleaner and different rewards. Oftentimes when we go to work, it might be six months before we see a project come to completion. We are working on something for the longest time, and it doesn't appear to add up to too much And then eventually we finish with a project, and then we feel good, but then we start another project that will take another 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, 12, 24, 48 months. And that's just how things are. So the nice thing about playing a game is even if it's a game like, say, Monopoly or Risk, and it takes 12 hours to play the game, well, it comes to a conclusion. And all that strategizing, maybe it paid off. A fourth and final trait that the author mentioned about deep play is that it is connected to your past. I thought that this was charming and delightful. For example, there were some people who would go shoot pool. Shooting pool fits all these examples of deep play. It is mentally absorbing. It is a new context for the same skills, strategizing, perhaps agility and coordination. Three, it has cleaner yet different rewards. And finally, it can be connected to your past. If you shot pool as a kid, say when you were five, six, seven, eight years old, and now you're doing it again when you are 25, 35, 45, 55, 65 years old, there is a deep connection. You've been doing this your whole life. Maybe you've got 40 or 50 years of history with this deep play situation. If you are a young person, the same effect is true. I've walked into choir classes where a choir director will bring back songs that everybody sang when they were in third grade. And instead of being feeling like, gosh, he's treating us like we're children, the kids in general tended to be delighted. They tended to be so happy. It was so fun for them to revisit their childhood. We should all probably revisit our childhoods and to just be a kid again and have that sense of play and have that sense of enjoyment, especially in these tough times. So... To summarize all the points, the author believes that if we want to be more creative, we should rest more often, and to stimulate our creativity, we should have a morning routine, we should have hours of work in the morning, but not too many, we should take a walk, take a nap, we should stop in the middle with what we're doing, we should sleep. To sustain creativity, we should have some recovery, we should have a vacation or a getaway, But also, we should probably exercise. Finally, there is the topic of deep play. It is mentally absorbing, it is a new context for the same skills, it is a cleaner but different set of rewards, and it is connected to our past. Bonus and final section was the author's idea of a sabbatical. This would truly be getting away from it all. When I was in college, I remember some of my professors going away for a semester. They would literally move across the country, perhaps go to a university, and take completely different types of classes, sometimes not even in their field. If they were mathematicians, maybe they would take classes in art. If they were artists, perhaps they would take classes in literature. They would be in a new environment, among new people, doing brand new things. They might not even go to the university at all. They might go to a different continent. They might live in a very, very natural climate and situation, that could be a true sabbatical. Well, these are just a few thoughts on creativity I almost forgot. I was supposed to tell you about Hemingway and all the things that he did right and the things that he did wrong. Well, before the age of 40, here are many of the things that Hemingway did right. First of all, he was intensely dedicated to creating Literature. Second, he had a very strong driving philosophy. He thought that language should be direct and to the point. He was trained as a newspaper man, and that probably had a huge impact on him. Third, Hemingway sought out interesting experiences. He did not assume that his own life was very interesting. So as a young man, he was a little extreme. He went to basically every war he ever could. Uh, He tried to put himself in combat situations, but I think he was rejected for not being of the proper health. So instead, he was an ambulance driver in World War I, for example. He got into all kinds of physical activities. He believed in hunting and fishing. He traveled the world. So the gist of all that is that Hemingway really truly believed that he was not so interesting in and of himself. But rather, he had to seek out experiences, I guess like a newspaper person, and write about them. Although I guess some newspaper people don't really have experiences, they just report on the experiences of other people, but Hemingway basically was going to put himself in some sort of a fray. Also, Hemingway was a voracious reader. It's really kind of hard to be good at your craft if you don't experience the work of other people engaging in that craft. So... Again, he had many experiences, he traveled the world, he put himself into situations, uh, and he definitely tried to absorb the work of as many other people as he possibly could. Now, after the age of 40, we could kind of see where Hemingway falls apart. And if you know much about Hemingway, Hemingway was married four times. Um, he is probably considered to be a heavy-duty alcoholic There is at least one book that covers this, but I honestly, I think every biography of Hemingway covers this. The one that I'm thinking of is The Thirsty Muse, Alcohol and the American Writer. It is out of print, but it is just fantastic, and it is worth reading, very much worth reading. The people who drank and used drugs damage their creativity enormously. There's sort of this trope sometimes in the media that it enhances creativity and that the artist is a crazy person, but that is just simply because we don't really think about the artists who don't have a history of alcoholism or drug abuse. We do think about the Hemingways, F. Scott Fitzgeralds, Eugene O'Neill's, John Steinbeck's, Dashiell Hammett's, Lillian Hellman, we think of those people. We think of the the artists who were self-destructive or who died young, like Janice Chaplin, uh, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, all three of whom died at the age of 27. We don't think so much about, oh, I don't know, say the Paul McCartneys, the people who live to be well past 75, um, or maybe the John Lennons, who later in life, he only lived to be 40, but he was shot. He said that, He wished that he'd never taken a single drug. That drugs did nothing but harm his creativity. So I guess we don't think about those people so much. In Hemingway's case, when the alcohol really began to take its toll, the last 21 years of his life were one bout of depression after the next, um, barely kind of hanging on to any sort of good life. Ironically, he was world famous and he was filthy rich at this point. He had written, I believe, For Whom the Bell Tolls. It had made him a multimillionaire. It allowed him to be a world traveler. He could go anywhere. He could do anything. Um, but by this point, he was on his third marriage, soon to be his fourth marriage. And then at the age of 60, 61, he was reading all the scientific literature that was coming out about alcoholism. He was about 60 years old. And that is when he realized that he had damaged his memory and creativity, that that's what alcoholism will do. Up until that point, he felt that alcohol enhanced his creativity, but the literature persuaded him that it had irreparably damaged his creativity. And so at that point, he took his favorite shotgun and killed himself. One of the most interesting books I ever read about Hemingway was Writer, Sailor, Soldier, Spy. I think that's the name of it. And it is about Hemingway's work for the CIA during World War II. That's a true story. And his potential, we're pretty sure, recruitment by the KGB at roughly the same period. That sounds so outlandish and wild, it's really, really hard to believe. So I just recommend that you read the book for yourself and make up your own mind. Well, That's kind of a wide-ranging discussion on creativity, but I guess if I were going to make final recommendations, it would be these. If you want to be a creative person, I think that you should try to work at it six days a week, maybe seven days a week. I think it's really helpful to try to do this first thing in the morning. In my own life, I would really love to add more variety and activity. I would love to travel more, and I would like to try more things. I think that these things would help me personally, I guess maybe I should finally turn it over to you. If you wanted to be more creative, how do you think you should arrange your life so that ideas can come to you? Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. Until next time.